been to my parents' house for a meal, you are actually you're probably aware that my mom is always cleaning out. Always. Always cleaning out. If I go over to eat, there is some dish that is on the table solely because it apparently must be eaten. It is, it, it is, it is not there because it makes sense or because it's needed, but because it needs to be consumed or else something terrible will happen. My mom will create these suits where literally everything is thrown in. Everything that she can buy thrown into the suit. Why? Because she's cleaning out. She's cleaning out. And because the suit has everything in it, it makes enough food to feed like 30 people. And so she freezes most of it. Which means that the next time I come over, I will probably have it again. Why? Because she's cleaning out. She's cleaning out. It's a vicious cycle. I bring this up a little bit to vent, uh, but mostly uh, because as we continue our journey through First Peter, we're in the second week of this. The passage that we're about to read, uh, it kind of feels like the author is cleaning out. Uh, like Peter took every idea related to the gospel and just Brew it in here right at the beginning before you even forget about it, just to make sure it all got in. And I mean, there are so many run lunch clauses strung together, it would make William Faulkner kind of blush. Uh, and just like a visit to my mom's, yeah, it would be very easy to read this passage, even talk about this passage, and think, that tasted good. But then leave and have no idea what we just ate, and certainly no idea how to recreate it. And so we're gonna we're gonna read the whole passage. We're gonna read the whole thing. I'm not gonna cut it, even though it, you're gonna be like, what was that? Uh, and I would encourage you to dig into the whole thing on your own or in a small group. We have some resources on the back services to think about that. Uh, but this morning, we're going to focus on, on just the first verse. Because the only way to make sense of what I of the rest of the passage, in my mind, is to first understand the difference between believing in Jesus and truly loving Jesus. This first verse is going to dig in to, the, to what does it mean to not be defined not to define Jesus, but to be defined by Jesus. And I believe that's what that first verse invites us to do, and I think that will inform the rest of the passage. But so we're not just cleaning out this whole time, we're going to uh, focus on it. We all pray with you. Lord God, we are grateful for your word, and we do not pretend like we can dismiss it. Because it's a little confusing or abstract on occasion. And so, God, we pray that you might give us not only ears to hear, but wisdom to understand and trust what you have to say for us today. Allow this first verse of Scripture to inform and to get us excited about the rest of this passage. And in turn, to get excited about what it means for our life. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
So our message today is 1 Peter, begins in verse 3. It's not the it's the verse where it's all important, but it's the one we're going to focus on, and we'll go all the way to 12. Listen for God's word for each of us this morning. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mystery, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Yes, the new But he's going to keep going. He's clear. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power into the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the uh, proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes through refra- uh, though refra- even though that which picks yet is hard. <laughs> hard. Which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you loved him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so a little bit of a fib up front. Uh, we're not even going to look at the whole first verse. We're really just going to look at it words from that first verse. Specifically, that through Jesus, we have been given a new birth into a living hope. We've been given a new birth into a living hope. Now I know phrases like new birth and living hope, they kind of sound like Christian white noise, like something we enjoy to have in the background, but really sure exactly uh, what they're saying or, or apply to our lives, but I, I just wonder, and this is a uh, rhetorical question, fear not, uh, does your life reflect that you have received a new birth into a living world? Well, this morning, I have a, a little test to help us figure it out. It's probably not a perfect test. I'm, I made it up, so yeah, we'll see. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little journey into a hypothetical, okay? I want you to imagine 
that you have wronged somebody you know. If you're like me, this should have taken an enormous leap of creativity. Uh, but since it's imaginary, and we can all, we all, you know, we want to keep it as controlled as possible, let's choose not to make this wrong some uh, horrible crime. Uh, let's say instead it's something like you were gossiping about someone, talking behind their back, and they found out. And so you end up having a conversation with this person, and in the process, you see that you have sincerely hurt them. You've hurt their feelings. But then as the conversation wraps up unprompted, they say, I forgive you. How would you do? Pretty good, right? That's like a good outcome of the conversation. You're in the wrong, I forgive you. That's great, thank you. All right, let's scenario over. Same scenario here. You can talk often, you end up having this conversation, you see you hurt their feelings, instead of this time, the person says, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ, I forgive you. How do you feel about that? I gotta say, personally, not a huge fan. <laughs> Simply 
struggle to get excited about a version of Jesus showing up that I cannot control. I don't like that. Are you ever like me? Where Jesus is more applied and submitted to? Where our relationship with the Lord is made up of small moments where we choose to need Him, but not a way of life. Where Jesus is not someone who we put our trust in, but someone who drops in to help us feel good and be good. Think I can make it? 
Prince politely, uh, you know, he enthusiastically was like, yeah, I, I really do. I think you can make it across. I'm excited to see it. And so then Blinder said, will you then be the one that will get on my shoulders? <laughs> and Prince is like, ah. No, I don't think so. Friends, if we are wondering, what's the difference between believing in Jesus and having a living hope? It's the difference between the prince watching from the shore and the manager being carried over the falls. It's the difference between passively being entertained and getting caught up in things that are beyond our capacity. As Karl Barth writes, to follow Jesus is an invitation to walk on air. But we must know that the, that the foothold to reach that place in the air is not our own actions, but it is God's righteousness. Our stepping stone to live as kingdom people is to stand on the work of Jesus, to submit to his way of life. And this is fundamentally what this verse in 1 Peter is about. I like how Will Wilmot puts it when he says, Christianity is more than a matter of a new understanding. Christianity is an invitation to see something that cannot otherwise be seen without Christ. A new birth into a living hope it begins when we stop simply believing in God because of Jesus. And we begin to believe that God is always Jesus. Always acting in the ways that we see Jesus act. And that is transformative because Jesus is always with us. Always inviting us out of the way. This is all going to be If you ever read the end of Romans 8, it's pretty famous. Paul reaches this crescendo of good news where he's like, either death or life and all this other stuff. I should have memorized that one. Uh, but he ends with this crescendo of good news by saying that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And you ever read it, you read the whole thing, it's like, yeah, we're more than conquerors. What does that mean? Everything about that? We don't even have a word for it. It's just more than a word that we have. That's what Paul said. I don't have a word for it, but it's more than the word that you know. We have no context where it's possible or desired to be more than a conqueror, to be more than right or victorious or safe. That's always the best we can do. And a lot of times, that's all we ask God to do. But Paul says, in Christ, we can be more than that. We can walk on air. We can be more than what we once settled for. We can choose the way of the cross, which does not look like conquering. We can become more than conquering, though. We can become people of love and grace from a profound sense of joy. Therefore, returning to our, our opening hypothetical, to, to forgive in the name of Jesus, to say that, it's not self-righteous. 
It's a confession. It's to say, I'm doing something beyond my own ability. It's to step out in faith, believing we have been invited to stand on the shoulders of a hope that is not our own. And I think that will be met as good news when we give it and when we hear it. And I also believe that in that truth, the rest of this chapter will begin to open up. And like I said, I, I encourage you to dig into it. But if I were to sum it up, when the Lord becomes our new birth into a living hope, what happens is, is that we are commissioned to be search to, to be searchers for and proclaimers of good news. This is what I think we're called to do. This is what loving Jesus looks like and putting our trust in Him. We look for Jesus in our lives. No matter the context, no matter if we're suffering or in pain or, or we have joy in our life, we look for Him. We don't feel the burden of measuring up to the Messiah. Instead, we simply are called to search for where God is already at work and we join what He's doing. And just imagine this. I actually thought about this, and it completely transformed what I, how I was perceiving my little hypothetical. If we were out sincerely looking for Jesus, believing He was active in our lives, and then we found out we wronged someone, we have a conversation with them, and then they said, "In the name of Jesus Christ." sound different? We were looking for Jesus. Would our eyes not just get as big as saucers and be like, holy freaking cow. Just found the dude. Just found the dude. What did he look like? Grace and forgiveness. Would that not change it? I'm telling you, real quick, we would have some good news to proclaim. The kind of thing Peter says prophets throughout time long to speak about, that angels are chomping at the bit to put to song. All of a sudden we would have good news to proclaim because the fullness of grace is at our fingertips daily because our hope is alive. I want to close with a glimpse of what I think this looks like. It's a video of uh, Anderson Cooper interviewing Stephen Colbert recently. And if you don't know the background, these two men have both experienced real trauma and suffering in their lives. Stephen Colbert, he's a practicing Catholic. But Anderson Cooper, he lost his dad early. His, his uh, brother committed suicide when he was young. And then Colbert, uh, when he was 10, his dad and his two closest brothers died in a plane crash. And, and Anderson Cooper, not based on any kind of faith, says he'd love to talk about grief with this guy. And it's kind of a long video. But it, as you listen to it, I want you to think about how the Lord has invited us to be a, into a new birth, a living hope. And that can make us searchers and proclaimers of good news and see if we can catch a glimpse of that. So we are in such times. You told me in your viewer uh, that you have learned to, in your words, love the thing that I most wish had not happened. Um, 
Friends, we too have been invited to do the impossible. To get on the Lord's shoulders and be people of grace. Giving thanks in all circumstances. So may we search for that good news. And become people of proclamation. And discover inexpressible joy in the process. Be brave with Jesus, so often it seems that all we need you for is a little guidance or a little boost. And then we wonder why our faith does not feel alive. Lord, today, invite us to not simply agree your word, but to put our trust in it, to see that it is not a call for us to do more, but to get on your shoulders and do what we once could not do, to believe that you are alive in our life, and therefore in whatever context we find ourselves, we can go out looking for where you are become people who proclaim where we see it. And that in and of itself will be us living into a new birth, us expressing a living hope, us being your kingdom until one day your kingdom comes in full.